days. <laughs> and uh, we, yeah, I struggled with what to share this evening. And the reason I struggled with what to share is kind of a, a few different reasons. One, you're kind of trying to recap the entire Christmas story. <laughs> uh, and so that's, that's not easy to do. I mean, there's a lot there. Uh, but not only that, we have uh, a few guests with us, and as you know, we, some of you we don't we don't see all year round, and so there's the struggle of well, I would like to share something meaningful, uh, not not for my sake, but for for the Lord's sake. There's a lot of pressure involved in that. There's this is a bigger Sunday than we would normally have, <laughs> um, but not only that, it's um, this the Christmas story is such a huge and significant story. It's such a huge and significant part of my life. Um, that I want to do it justice, and it's incredibly difficult to do it justice. So I'm actually going to read from Luke chapter two this evening. Um, you won't be able to see very well out there, so you don't. I don't know how well I'll be able to see either. So I'll do my best. I know a lot of it by heart, but um, if I mess up, you'll just have to bear with me while I find my place. Uh, and then I just want to share a few short reflections uh, on Jesus this evening. So Luke chapter 2, verse 1, it says, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem in the town of David, because he belonged to the home in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no, no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left and gone into heaven, the shepherds went said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. I want to start off by sharing with you this evening a little reflection. I was thinking and reflecting about um, the phrase, Jesus is the reason for the season. And the reason I was thinking about that is because you hear it a lot. And when you're a pastor, you get reminded of quite often, Jesus is the reason for the season. And it's so memorable because it rhymes and it's a cliche and everyone's heard it before. Hands up if you've ever heard that before. <laughs> Hands up if you've lived under a rock the last 30 years and you've never heard that phrase in your life. I didn't think so. Everyone's heard that phrase. And I was kind of thinking about it and I was thinking, I'm not, first of all, I'm not going to share a cliche with my church uh, on, on our Christmas candlelight service. It's 
not, that's not what I'm about. So I, I'm not here to tell you that Jesus is the reason for the season. Well, because most of you already know that. And it's good, it, you know, I think it's good to be reminded of that. Tara and I were in, in Kamloops yesterday. Um, I won't tell you why we were there. It was nothing to do with Star Wars and going to Star Wars. No, it was definitely we went to Star Wars with our friends. Uh, but while we were there, it's the last Saturday before Christmas. And I don't know if you know what the last Saturday before Christmas is like anywhere where there's a shopping mall and a Costco, but it's crazy. I just don't have to tell you how crazy it is. But seeing all those people rushing around, and Tara and I, I'll tell you right now, Tara and I were guilty of it too. We were, uh, we were almost going to be late, well, late for our one hour early to make sure we got good seats, but we were almost going to be late, and I was texting Mike, and I said, we're, we're almost done. We're going to be there just in time. We're just you know picking up a couple of last-minute gifts. And I was thinking about how we're rushing around and it's going to make us late for our friends. And I was thinking, hmm, not exactly as Jesus intended it. <laughs> that here we are rushing around taking part in, in the, the thing that we, and it's not that it's, you know, giving gifts isn't fun and exciting. It's not that I mean to demean giving gifts. I think giving gifts can be uh, a wonderful part of our, our, our kids' childhoods. It can be a wonderful part of our memories with one another. Um, but we are always constantly aware of this battle between commercialism or loneliness or different things that, that Christmas isn't meant to be about and the real reason for Christmas and the real celebration of Christmas. But Jesus is the reason for the season. It's so, so, so much deeper than just that. And the reason it's become a cliche is not just because it rhymes. It is that reminder for us. But there's so much more to that because as I was reflecting on it, I was realizing, hold on, it's not just that Jesus is the reason for the season. That's a great reminder for us, but rather Jesus is the reason for everything. And that's actually my first point this evening is that Jesus is not just the reason for the season. Jesus is the reason we even have seasons to begin with. So I was thinking about that and I was kind of ruminating on John 1 and I was thinking about, and I, I shared it, I've been thinking about it quite a bit lately because I shared from uh, John chapter 1 just briefly at the the Christmas banquet last Saturday, not yesterday, but but a week ago. And as I shared that, and I've been kind of meditating on it and thinking about it, I was thinking about that and realizing just the gravity and weight of what John chapter 1 really means. And so if you don't really know what it means, uh, we, could, we could read it together. But John chapter 1 essentially starts out by saying, in the beginning was the Word. And so if you contrast that or, or, or compare that, John chapter 1 is not the, the first uh, book in the New Testament, but it is one of the, first, one of the four Gospels, right at the beginning of the New Testament. It's fitting because when you read in, right from front cover to back cover and you start, you start in Genesis with, in the beginning. And so John echoes that language in John chapter 1. It's essentially the beginning of his Gospel. And it's essentially the beginning of Jesus' story, and he's hearkening back to in the beginning. And if you read Genesis 1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And John says, not only did God create the heavens and the earth, but Jesus was there. And so John 1, verse 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And as you carry on into John chapter 1, you start reading about how the Word, by, by, by the Word, by that Word, by Jesus Christ, nothing, was, nothing that has been made was made without Him. This is my Nick Astle paraphrase version. But just breaking it down, considering what exactly that means, if the, if the Word of God in the beginning was Jesus Christ, and Jesus was there, and then you continue on into John, and it says, and then the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And I shared about that, 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 uh, the, that Word became flesh and blood, Jesus became flesh and blood, and moved out into the neighborhood, or moved into our neighborhood. 
And that's exactly what Jesus has done. But thinking back to the beginning and considering what that means for creation, it means that Jesus, who is both fully man, being born to a human mother, Mary, is also fully God, fully divine. And that the mystery of that and understanding that, we're, I'm still unpacking this a whole life's work for me and very much still unpacking that. Considering in the beginning that Jesus was there and by him all things were made and nothing that has been made was made without him made me realize that not only is Jesus the reason for this season, he's the reason for everything. He's the reason we exist in the world today. He's the reason why when we go outside in December, it's different than when we go outside in June. He's the reason for every season. He's the reason that we have seasons at all. He thought in his mind that it would be good and preferable for us, unless you live in California, to have four different seasons. Or in Canada, two different seasons. Winter and construction. But for us, we, we experience the, the beauty and majesty of everything that was created around us. That is, Jesus is the reason for that. Every beautiful thing you've ever seen, if you can think, uh, and not, not, not just being sappy or romantic here, but truly consider some of the most beautiful things you've ever seen, God saw fit to place that in your life, that you would get to experience that. Book of Philippians tells us to consider these things, to think about whatever is lovely, whatever is true, whatever is noble, all those good things that we're told to think about. God created those things. And so he created each and every one of us. He created the world around us, the grass that we get to walk on in the winter and the snow we get to shovel, or in the summer rather, and the snow we get to shovel in the winter. He's the reason for every season. He's the reason for everything we've ever experienced. He's not the reason for the bad, although he does allow it to happen. But every good thing that's in your life is because of Jesus Christ. And so let's not just stop at Jesus is the reason for a season, but rather remember that Jesus is the reason for everything. Let's reflect on the fact that the God of the universe who created everything you see around you with a spoken word would desire to speak life into you as well and give life to your days rather than just allowing your days to go by. The amazing thing about that is that uh, Jesus Christ, the God of the universe who created everything, then humbled himself to come and enter the creation that he made to experience everything he created for us to experience. He then became human in order to experience it all. And not, not only did he become human, but humbled himself to the most humble of parents and the most humble of locations. And when we consider everything that Jesus has done for us, we can understand, just get, catch a little bit of a glimpse of the fact that Jesus is everything. He's the reason we have breath at all. He set all of the beauty in this world before us, the majesty of his creation and the magnificence of the stars in the sky and everything that he spoke into existence declares his praise and he desires for us to declare his praise as well. When we see and appreciate everything around us, when we tr have true gratitude for the God who created all that, we can start to understand that every single good thing is because of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the reason for everything. Not only is Jesus the reason for everything, but Jesus also gave us everything. I was thinking about this a little bit. Because not only is Jesus the reason for everything, but he gave up everything. He gave his all. Just consider for a moment the humility that it must have taken for Jesus Christ, who in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, meaning Jesus Christ was fully God. And the humility it must have taken for him to give up his glory, 
to give up his position in heaven, to give up everything that he had set before him, and humble himself to become a human at all, to come down to condescend, if you will. And now condescending is something that we take as a negative. But in God's sense, it's actually not a, a negative. The word condescend means to descend to be with. The reason we talk about people being condescending is because we think they're on our level. And when someone condescends to us, they're placing us below them. That's why we don't like it when people are condescending. But when it comes to God, God actually has to condescend. That's really the nature of what condescending means. It's not, it's not at all a negative because we cannot possibly be on God's level. Therefore, the only way to relate to God, for God to understand us, and therefore us to understand God, is to condescend to be with us, to descend from heaven to earth to be with us. But then when we take that, I mean, that fact alone when considered, should give us great pause and also cause us to be incredibly thankful and incredibly humbled. But then when we consider that Jesus did not only just, I mean, very well he could have descended from earth as an adult human, and here is the Son of God, and then led, led a perfect, sinless life beyond that. But he did so much more than that. He humbled himself to birth, to birth to a virgin Mary, and to then a humble carpenter father. He humbled himself into complete and utter reliance on his mother for food, for nourishment, for everything, for shelter and safety. He relied on Mary and Joseph. He humbled himself to need them. He humbled himself to a humble family, to birth in humble circumstances, and to a, a humble life. And even in his death, he humbled himself to the ultimate humiliating death. Now, continuing on beyond that, not only did he humble himself to be born as a human child, but then he humbled himself in the ultimate way, which is to never sin. See, the nature of sin for us, and it it's kind of feels weird to talk about sin at Christmas, but here we are. Sin is something that we don't like about ourselves. We shouldn't like about ourselves. But the heart, at the very heart of sin, often is both pride and selfishness. I'm not saying that Jesus missed out on a whole lot by not sinning, but I will suggest to you this. Jesus, who never sinned, sacrificed every bit of pride, every bit of selfishness, every choice he could have made for himself, he instead made for us. And living a perfect, sinless life was his sacrifice in life, not just in death. It would have been one thing if he had died for our sins but not only that, but he lived a perfect life as well. And that was so much, so much greater than we give credit for oftentimes. And then continuing on beyond that, not only did he live a perfect and sinless life, but then died a sinner's death. Not only a sinner's death, but a horrific death. We can't reflect on Christmas without the, the, the shadow of the cross lying beyond the manger. And Christmas is always going, not, not just because it falls you know, in the school year before Easter, but Christmas will always have the shadow of Good Friday in behind it. Thankfully, we have the Resurrection Sunday beyond that, that we can look beyond just Good Friday. Jesus did not only die for our sins, but also rose again. We give thanks and praise to God for that. But considering everything that Jesus has done, he laid down his life, not just at the end of his life, but daily submitting himself to God the Father. When you consider what that means, he gave up a life of selfishness, of doing what he wanted to do, to do only, only what the Father wanted. 
Sometimes that easy, that's easy, but sometimes that's incredibly difficult. We need to understand that Christmas is really only the beginning of the story. It's not the end of the story by any means, but it's very much the beginning of the story of Christianity for obvious reasons, but for less obvious reasons as well. You can't see Christmas without Good Friday, and you can't see Good Friday without Resurrection Sunday, without Easter. Every moment of Jesus' life was about sacrifice and about unselfishness and about giving. Giving every moment of his life over to the Father. That whatever he did would be in the Father's will. Now we, we don't necessarily love that Christmas has become about presence, but we do recognize that Christmas can be about giving. And we need to understand the significance of what Jesus has given us in his life. That he came to earth to live this perfect and sinless life. That he would live as our example to point to and go, this is how I want to live. And then beyond that, laid down his life. Jesus laid down every single part of himself. Everything for us. Consider the gift that that is. Because he's not only just a person, he's not only just a man, but he's fully God. He gave up everything for us. Merry Christmas. I mean, that's that's a greater gift than we could ever imagine. That is the greatest Christmas gift of all. And so I I don't begrudge people giving gifts. I think the Lord does love a cheerful giver. I enjoy finding the right gift for people. But far more significant is remembering the gift that we receive in Jesus Christ. And so lastly, Jesus not only gave us everything, but he's also worthy of our everything. He's worthy of everything we could ever give him, worthy of all the praise we could ever bring, as as one of my favorite songs goes. Since Jesus gave us everything, Christmas should remind us that Jesus is worthy of our everything. He's, he's, I'm not sure what your traditions are like. If you give gifts at Christmas or not, I won't be, be judge you or, or begrudge you or judge you either way. But I would ask you this Christmas to consider giving Jesus your life and your heart and your everything because he is worthy of that. When we just reflect and consider for the fact that we have a heavenly father who loved us so deeply that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not die but will have eternal life, that when we believe in Jesus Christ, we're given eternal life. He laid down his one and only son as a sacrifice for us. What a tremendous gift that is. I was thinking about this, and as Tara and I, guilty as charged, were picking out gifts for each other yesterday, we were left until pretty much the last minute. Uh, We were trying to feel out what one another was getting because you don't want one person getting a pair of slippers and then the other person getting a Harley Davidson. (laughs) It's just not fair. (laughs) That's never happened, thankfully. I've never gotten Harley Davidson, and I don't think this is the year. I did get one, but not for Christmas. <laughs> but you don't, you, you know, when someone gives you something really extravagant, it's then embarrassing when you go to give them that, that card back. Yes, it is the thought that counts. But sometimes you want gifts to be equitable. You don't, you don't want to have that embarrassment of someone really lavishing some gift upon you and then the embarrassment of, I got you nothing in return. And I don't know why that's embarrassing to us. It is, though. And I I don't know if that's uh, necessarily the way God wants us to be. But I will point this out. When we consider that God has lavishly given us his love, he's given us his son, he's given us literally everything, every beautiful thing we see around us, he's blessed us with, every good thing in our lives, all the family that we share together, the friendships that we have, 
the fact that we have this abundance in this nation that we live in, everything that we give him thanks for at Thanksgiving, if we truly mean it, I think we need to consider the fact that with so much of what he's given us, he is deserving of everything we could ever give him back and then so much more beyond that. I struggled with it. I struggled with what I would share. It's, that it's nice at Christmas to say, yes, I'm going to go to church or I'm going to be nicer or I'm going to be more generous or I'm going to be a kinder person. And it's okay. I'm glad that you're here. I'm not trying to judge you and say that this is not enough. Well, I'm not going to, we'll never turn you away. But God, I think, is asking for more than just attendance at church. I think God is, is asking for us when he has lavished incredible gifts upon us, not the least of which is his son, Jesus Christ, when he's shown us his love so deeply in a way that I wish I could express to you with words how much he loves you, I think the only fitting response then is to give back to him. When I consider all the things that Tara has given up for us, for me and my family, when I think of the sleepless nights she's given to our children and the gifts that she's given me, I'm not talking just about physically, but everything she's done for me and the selfless acts and, and the way she sacrifices for our children, the time that she spent with me and helping me. My natural response is to want to do that back because I want to honor her and what she's done for me and the things that she's given up, the sacrifices she's made for me. It makes me want to then do that back for her. That's just the nature of what love is. It's not because I feel obligated, but rather because I feel a deep and abiding love for her that I want to honor her and serve her in the way that she honors me and serves me. True love is not done out of anything other than just love. And the actions that grow out of that love look very similar to doing things out of obedience or out of necessity or out of feeling like I have to or out of obligation. But the heart behind them is very different. I think when we get to a place of giving to Jesus, not because I feel like I have to because he's given me so much, not begrudgingly because, oh, I should really get my lazy bum out of bed and go to church because I haven't been in a few months, or uh, not because we feel guilty, not because we feel like we have to, not because we feel obligated, but simply because we love God and we're thankful for everything he's done in our lives. Our motivation changes. The actions might not change all that much. But when the heart behind them changes, when we say, Lord, I want more of you in my life just because I want more of you, just because I love everything you've done for me and I love you, Lord, the motivation behind that is so much different. And it, that's, that's, it's, it powerfully shows our love for God. I would love to challenge you and say, well, let's, let's make it a goal this year to be in church every Sunday. I think that'd be fantastic, you know, to try and hit, be, be here more often. That, that's honorable maybe, but that would be completely missing the point of what God would desire from our lives. That may grow out of a relationship with God, but it's not the purpose of the relationship with God. God's purpose for you is not for just to be in church, not just to fill a seat, not just to give money, not just to even be a nicer person, although all of those things may grow out of a life and relationship with God. But the goal of a relationship with God has always been just the relationship with God. 
God's desire in, in creating us was that we would worship him, that we would freely choose to love and adore and worship him. And every step he's taken throughout human history has been about that. Jesus' life is a huge, huge part of that and a huge representation of that. But all throughout human history, we have examples of God's love for us. And his desire for us is to love him back to be devoted to him, to lay down our lives in the same manner that Jesus laid down his life. We may not lay down our lives unto death, but remembering the fact that Jesus laid down his life every day. Jesus himself told us, if anyone would come after me, they must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Consider for a moment that Jesus taking up his cross was not the only time he took up a cross. It was the only physical time he took up a cross and was killed for our faith. But every single day, his selfishness was dead. Every single day, his pride was dead. Every single day, his desires and his wills, every single thing was submitted to God the Father. And everything he did was about taking up his cross daily and following the Father, following what God his Father would have, following his own, ironically, in an interesting way, following his own will, not selfishly, but the will of the Father. I, I mean, I, I wish I could put it into words better, just everything God has done for us. There's, there's no perfect sermon I could preach. There's no, uh, there's no length I could preach, and there's no eloquence I could have that could express to you just how much God loves you. There's no words I could say that I could say perfectly enough or in a short enough or long enough message that would really bring that point home, all I can say to you is that once you experience it, once you really grasp the love of God that God has for you, the, the, the life that he wants to give you, the abundant life, not, not just a better life or an e certainly not an easier life or a simpler life even necessarily, not a more rich life. I mean, there are books out there that talk about your best life now. I, I like, I was reading Francis Chan, and Francis Chan says, has a chapter in his book called Crazy Love called Your Best Life Later. Because <laughs> that's God's design. His plan, his plan is not your best life here on earth. Your best life lived for him, yes, perhaps. But your best life in heaven, where thieves can't steal and moth and rust can't destroy a treasure in heaven. God's desire for us is a life submitted to him here on earth. A life that wakes up every day and says, God, what is your purpose for today? Because you probably have a better plan than I do. I'm not sure if you've experienced God's plan before. I challenge you to just give it a listen, to read his word and match up your life to what it says, to consider everything that Jesus has taught us and live by that, to humbly submit and say, Lord, what's your will for my day and what's your will for my life? because he has a better plan, a more meaningful life, more joy, more hope, more peace, certainly more love for not only our loved ones and neighbors, but also for our enemies. As challenging as that is, that is the life that God has planned for us, and it is a better life. Better, maybe not in the North American sense, maybe not in being richer, maybe not in the American dream, but certainly better in eternity. Certainly better at the end of your life to look back and reflect on. God's given us everything, and I would suggest to you that he's worthy of giving everything back. And so I would ask you to consider this Christmas, if God is worthy of giving everything back, how do we do that? I think it starts with our hearts, that we desire to have a relationship with him. It can start in prayer. We can certainly pray for you tonight. 
and start in reading the Bible and seeing what he what he said to us. <laughs> uh, it starts in in submitting yourself every day and saying, Lord, what's your will? What's what do you want? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to live? I know he'll point us back to scripture. He wants us to live by that. And then beyond that, he can lead us elsewhere as well. But we know we, uh, we know that Christmas is not all about presents. And although I'm not going to tell you to stop giving them, I, I certainly think that giving the presents, the present of ourselves to God is the most significant present we could ever give. But we need to remember that Jesus is not only the reason for the season, he's the reason for everything. He's the reason that we have breath in our lungs. He desires relationship with the people he created in his image. He wants us to look like him once again, to cast off everything that doesn't look like him and the sin that separates us from him. He wants us to repent and turn to him. Um, and he, his desire for us is to see that he has created everything. He laid down everything. He gave it all up. He didn't leave anything. He didn't hold anything back. He reserved nothing for himself. He laid him, himself down on the cross and in the grave and then rose from the grave triumphantly to give us resurrection life, that we could be spiritually alive in him. And I would suggest to you that you consider giving him your everything. Because if you do, you'll have a life that is uh, far more significant at the end of it than anything else you could imagine. So let's consider giving that gift to God this evening. He's, he's given us a gift that he was willing to die for, which is himself. He wants relationship with us. And um, I pray that you'll also give him that gift in return as well, that you'll give your life over to him. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. Thank you that at Christmas we can uh, spend time together with family. We can give one another gifts. We can share in a feast together, Lord. We can enjoy things that we wouldn't normally do. Lord, all those things are blessings from you, and we give you thanks and praise for them, God. Lord, most of all, we thank you for what you've given us. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Lord, we want to receive that. Lord, if there are those tonight who desire to know you more, I just pray that you would speak into their life and into their hearts tonight. You draw us closer to you, Lord. Our Lord God, we just ask you to bless our good fellowship tonight as we visit with one another and enjoy one another's company. We just thank you for the gift of family and friends that we can join together, your family and your body, that we can love one another and... Uh, experience the joy of, of meeting together and enjoying your presence here. Lord, I just pray that you would bless each person this Christmas. Lord, we pray for those who will feel alone or feel lonely at Christmas. Lord, we ask you to send one another, each of us, to those who are lonely to love them and to welcome them in as well, Lord. We pray that you would uh, bless each person that's here with your presence and uh, a reminder of you this Christmas. And Lord, just please... Um, bless us with uh, with the knowledge of how, just a glimpse of how much you love us, God. Lord, be with us tonight and uh, bless our fellowship continued. Bless the food and the, the drinks we share together. Be with those who have to travel and keep them safe, Lord, tonight. Not just tonight also, Lord, but, uh, but throughout the Christmas season as they travel, be with them as well. And uh, walk with us tonight, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.